What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. I lead marketing at The Juice, playing a little bit under the weather, got the kid going into daycare, was sick, bringing the germs back, getting the germs this week. The show must go on, though. And I'm excited to share this conversation with you. It's actually the final Modern Day Marketer conversation of 2023. Let's celebrate it. We are talking about the three axioms of content marketing, and I am joined by my man, Tommy Walker, at the Content Studio. I got a chance to be on his show a week ago, and in this one, it was a really good conversation. Tommy was so thoughtful talking about his structure around what is good content marketing. We put out the state of gated versus ungated content report at the Juice this week. I love being able to use our platform data to create stories around questions that we all have. And I think this report does a really good job of giving some perspective on the gated versus ungated debate. You can find that at the, on the juice. I will put a link in the show notes. You're going to want to stick around for this conversation. Tommy knows his stuff. Without further ado, let's kick it. There are very few times before we jump on these things that I get a disclaimer and and today's <laughs> guest gave me a disclaimer that there's this is a loaded episode which I think is a, is a very good thing. I'm pumped I just met today's guest a few weeks ago. Um we have a lot of lot in common and I think he's going to uh, bring a ton of value to this episode. We're going to be talking about defining the three axioms of content marketing. I'm joined by Tommy Walker, founder at The Content Studio. Tommy, sounds like you're ready to go. How are you doing? I'm so stoked for this. I've been doing a ton of research and I'm very excited to share. Before we jump into all of it, maybe just brief the audience a little bit about The Content Studio and kind of uh, how it originated, where, where you come from, all those fun things. Sure. Uh, so the content studio is a consultancy for high growth B2B SaaS startups and enterprises. We regularly work with the Fortune 500 on developing content marketing programs and communications. On the other side of the house, we also have a media arm, which we are developing where I host a show called The Cutting Room, where I speak to uh, industry leading marketing professionals about their content marketing philosophy process and pregame before they edit an article live. Right. You got to this is going to play into what we talk about later. And yeah, we're, we've been growing. I started the content studio after getting fired from, or not fired, but laid off from QuickBooks. Uh, and before that, I was the global editor in chief over there. And then before that, I was the first marketing hire at Shopify Plus. I have since worked with companies like LinkedIn, Twitch, GoDaddy, just wrapped up a consultation with Vimeo and uh, regularly talk about this stuff with uh, other companies. And I'm very fortunate that they want to hear what I have to say and like to pay me for it. So, yeah. I love the layering in the social proof, pretty good brands. So I think that validates maybe what uh, Tommy is about to share, but we're going to dive in. I know there's a lot to talk about and maybe just uh, throw a loaded one at you just right out of the gates. Thinking about just content marketing programs and what makes a good content marketing program I'm curious on your end because you're talking with these, you know, incredible brands about content on a regular basis. So what actually is a good content marketing program and how should we define it? Sure. So a little bit of preface to this. I have a lifelong history with uh, acting, filmmaking, and a lot of 
breaking down traditional storytelling techniques. So a lot of my foundation is in that. So what creates a good content marketing program in professional storytelling? When you start looking into the techniques, we talk about a character's wants and a character's needs, right? And these are two very different things. Uh, and I'll, I'll just kind of break those down, right? So it, they seem related and they kind of are, but they're very different. So a character's wants, these are intrinsic or extrinsic goals, right? I want to become a hero, right? They are known to the character. They are specific to that character. And those are the things that drive the plot forward. So I'll uh, give you a few examples of those in The Matrix. Neo wants to know what The Matrix is, right? In Toy Story, Woody wants to be Andy's favorite toy. In Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph wants to become, uh, wants to get a medal so he can be accepted by his peers and be invited to all of the parties, right? A need is very different. They're intrinsic goals. They are unknown or often ignored by the character or the protagonist. They are universal. So we can all, as the audience, accept that these are things that we all need. These are the things that speak to us. And they're the things that drive the character arc forward. So if we go back to our examples from before, Neo needs to embrace that he is the one. He is special, right? He needs to embrace that. In Toy Story, Woody needs to learn how to share affection so everybody can get along. Both he can be a better leader, uh, but also share the spotlight. And in Wreck-It Ralph, he needs to accept his own role as the villain of the story, but also he needs to accept that he is the one who needs to validate himself, not the ones that, you know, the other people outside of him. Now, a good B2B marketing program does these things for our reader because we have to accept that our reader is the protagonist of their own story. So uh, a basic example I like to give uh, is we know that a reader wants to learn how to do landing page optimization, right? For example, right? And these are things we can identify through keyword research and all of our other fancy tools that we use, what people want. But what somebody who is looking for landing page optimization might need is to get the validation of their boss, right? They might need to do these things so they don't lose their job. They might need to make more money if their business is running low on cash, right? So we can understand what these needs are and put those out there in the content that we put out. And those things create layers, right? So if we are saying, okay, here's how you do landing page optimization, the subtext of that, we can start to incorporate this is that just because you know how to do this doesn't mean you're not going to have extra things that need to come up, right? Doing this might not actually solve the deeper problem that you might have. And because we are experts in this, we understand what it is that you need. We know why you want this thing, but we also understand what you need in the broader sense. A lot of content marketing programs they, I don't want to say they don't have this, but it is something that's a little bit rarer out there because that's where a brand's point of view starts to come out, right? Who are you as a brand to say what people need? But it's also where people start to stick, right? That's how you start to look at it and go, 
yeah, they totally do understand that. I, I did want this, but maybe this isn't what I actually thought I needed. And maybe what I what I actually need is the thing that they're selling. So a good content marketing program addresses these things uh, regularly, consistently, and confidently. So the, the needs and the wants is, I love the definition around those and would agree with you that I would say most B2B content programs don't take those things or don't take maybe their audience into consideration before they start creating. A lot of us Mm -hmm. create because we think that's what our audience wants. And we're just, you know, drawing blanks when we, you know, create these podcast episodes, create videos, write blog posts. No, no one likes it. It doesn't resonate. And then all of a sudden leadership says, you know, our content program isn't working. Right. So in the example that you shared, which makes a lot of sense, and especially using the, the movies to paint the picture, which most of us have seen those, what are the steps that content marketers should take out of the gates before they even start creating to deeply understand the wants and needs of the people that they're trying to reach? This is where I'm going to sound like a super generic marketer. Um, it's do your research. Um, but it's it's research in the sense that you are, uh, I look at research from a, a few different angles, right? You've got the people that you know, right? You've got the, the people who are in your audience or potentially your customers or your prospects. And you have those conversations and you're listening for those needs as you're reading between the lines of what you're having those conversations. A lot of outbound sales reps, the good ones are really good at this, right? Where they're listening to what people are saying and then they're going, well, you know what? Maybe you do have everything you need, but maybe you don't. So there's that. So that's within your own universe. But then as we start to expand out, I want to look at a few different things. So uh, one, we're looking at our direct competitors, right? And what are they seeing, saying and how are they addressing the wants and the needs or are they addressing the wants and the needs? We're also looking at our search competitors because that's how people are going to find us in a lot of cases. And we're all still really obsessed with SEO. So we're going to look at are those search competitors also addressing those wants and needs? Then we're going to go out a step further and go we're looking at industry adjacent, so news outlets and those types of areas and say, how are they addressing these needs? And news, are, news is actually pretty good at addressing those needs of, you know, this is what's going on in the industry. This is why you need to know, et cetera, et cetera. And then we might look, and I consider this sort of on that same tier of what are the influencers in the space also saying? And what we're looking for is we're really trying to read between the lines of what everybody is saying and having these conversations. And if you're looking at this from a more global point of view, right, you're not just zeroing in on the people that you can get in touch with easily. And if you have a strong value proposition as a company, you can see very easily, actually, how different places are are those needs getting addressed. So I'm going to bring it back to my example at Shopify Plus. This was my this was where I did some of my best work. Uh, when I was in-house. And what we had known at the time, it's funny to think about this now, but Shopify Plus was cloud e-commerce when nobody was taking cloud e-commerce seriously. Every company thought that they needed to have on-site solutions. They needed to have their own servers. They needed to have a bunch of developers. And what we had done, uh, what our leader had done at the time, Lauren Paddleford, he was amazing. He was the GM at the time. He had said, you know, 
most people don't actually need all of these additional features, right? Most of those features are actually hurting people's companies and not allowing them to move quickly. We've now since addressed that. Shopify Plus addressed that really well, and Shopify addressed that really well, and that's why cloud e-commerce is the standard now. But what we found in those conversations were, what are the problems that you're having with your solution right now? And it was like, yeah, the thing breaks all the time, or I have to have a five-star gold developer for Magento, and that's expensive, and all I want to do is change a banner, but I can't do that, and I need all of this extra development, right? And what we knew people wanted was a better e-commerce platform. And what they thought they needed was a better on-site version. And that's where we said, that's where the disconnect is. And as we created our content, bring it specifically to what my team was doing, we're digging, we're creating a wedge in all of those little mini subjects that people might be coming up with. So how to create a good navigation menu, right? How to do landing page optimization, how to conduct customer journeys, how to conduct an interview, right? And we're looking at all of these things and going, okay, this is what you want. I know this is what you want because this is what you searched for. But can we pepper in these little ideas of like, is this really what you need, right? And you, you create this level of, because needs are universal, you're, you're creating this whole idea of you build more trust instead of giving people the happy ending every time. You're creating more trust with people by saying, maybe this isn't what you thought it was. And that's, I think that answers the question, but that's really how we're addressing that. And that's why when I say you have to show up consistently with these things, that's what we're doing. You're doing this on a regular basis. And then it's for, for other companies, it's a death by a thousand cuts because you're just hammering home. You're just driving these little jabs here and there. And then when you have to go toe to toe, you can always deliver that powerful right hook because you've already built that trust up with folks to say like, okay, now this is what you need, right? This is, and, and these other people, they're saying that this is what you need. No, this is what you need. And you know, it's true because we have constantly been showing up and telling you these little things where you're like, maybe putting some seeds of doubt, maybe having people nod their heads you know, all of these little ideas where you're giving them both what they ultimately need, but also what they want in the meantime. So I t uh, what I've picked up on is certainly um, research plays a pivotal role and research affords uh, the content marketer the opportunity to not only create content that your audience needs or wants, but also probably makes it easier on the content marketer because it always gives you something to create content about. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the uh, dilemmas we have sometimes. It's like, all right, well, what the hell did we create today? Like, what do we want to write? And we just make something up. And obviously, when we do that, oftentimes that doesn't stick. So it sounds like there's some sort of organization and structure and process that goes into the research component, understanding your audience, the needs, wants, and desires. And my guess is that by creating this sort of structure, it makes the life of the content marketer not only more effective, but it makes that that individual's job more easy. So maybe talk a little bit about just like structure and walking into your role with that structure and purpose for what you're creating. Now, how are we defining structure in this case? Because there's a lot of different definitions of structure. I want to make sure that I'm answering this 
the way that we want it to be answered. Yeah. So the way I'm thinking about it is just making sure you have some sort of system in place so you're not creating pieces of content in an ad hoc basis regularly, but it's almost like the infrastructure that you have set up gives you some sort of direction on the content calendar, the individual pieces of content, the medium you're creating for. Okay. That's what I think. I got you. That makes a lot of sense. So I don't know if I could answer this question quite the way that we're looking for, to be honest with you, but I'll show you what my process has been. uh, And, and hopefully that we can start to extrapolate that because I'm a little unconventional in in a lot of ways. So in the very beginning of the process, I create what's called the content code and the content code is speaks to these wants and these needs, right? So it speaks mostly to the needs, right? So instead of going, you know, articles need to be 1850 words and a pair, you know, a new image, every other paragraph, like things like that. My first content code would have opinions or bullshit. Do the research. What can we swear on this podcast? We we sure can. Let okay, it fly. Cool. All right, cool. <laughs> So it's, you know, opinions are bullshit. Do the research. Don't talk down to your reader. Your reader has, you know, this is a separate rule, but your reader has uh, a baseline knowledge and we're coming, they're coming to this with an education that we can start to draw on and, you know, then we can start to bring them up, right? Don't talk down to the reader because you know stuff that they don't know, but you can build off of their existing knowledge base and help bring them up to your level in some cases, right? So we start to look at these, you know, there are 10 rules in my content code and I can share those with you for the show notes later. Can but I, Can I ask a question on that like sure. subtopic? Because I think it's so important and, and, and so insightful what you say is that uh, you're creating content to build off of the existing knowledge of the reader. And I, I, mean, I obviously work and get the juice. I consume a lot of content and yeah. A lot of the time it misses its mark because the content that I'm reading, it, it's almost like the author is communicating at me from like a position of authority and trying to tell me what I should do. Yeah. But then the really good content to me is like when I feel like someone is talking with me and not necessarily at me. So I just wanted to call that out because as you were talking through that, I feel like that's a cool topic that doesn't get talked about enough, but is super important. Can I read you what that section says? Would love to, yeah. Let's hear okay. it. So this is rule number three. Uh, don't talk down to the reader. So the reader is intelligent. They might not know what you know, but they have an existing knowledge base to work off, off of. Respect that the reader has some background knowledge and assume they are capable of understanding without resorting to con- condescension. Research your reader. Draw parallels and build off their ex- existing knowledge. Talking down to your reader is not a sign that you are a subject matter expert. It only serves to demonstrate that you are insecure in the knowledge or that you are incapable of communicating with patience and clarity. This condescension is encoded into the work and if unchecked, will spread throughout the organization or worse, an entire industry. The most effective way to eliminate condescension and humble yourself, we found, is do more research. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm with that. I'm I'm a believer in that. Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. So we're creating this at the very beginning. Right before I've ever written an ad to hire writers, before I've ever even after I've done the research, I'm writing the code because this is what codifies the 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 it's the manifesto that lives at the heart of what it is that we're creating overall. And uh, on a macro level, we want to make sure that we're always 
doing the things that the code is saying. And then on a micro level, if I'm editing an author, I can point to which role specifically or which rules specifically that author is violating and refer them back to, you know, if, if I'm seeing that an author is talking down to the reader, I'm like, read this again, please. Mm. And as we're doing our research to create the structure of the program, the way that I think about the content programs that I create when I'm like fully in charge of the entire operation is going back to the acting and the storytelling and the filmmaking background where there's a lot of people will say the three act structure, a lot of movies are actually done in four or multiple acts. And we might look at act one, act two, act three, act four by Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And if somebody were to read our publication from front to back, there's going to be a very long character arc that they'll go through where by the time they are done, they are able to have this huge base of knowledge that uh, has built on itself and has built off of what they already know. So now they're leveled up. And what I've seen happen, we saw this at Shopify specifically, is they are returning on a regular basis. It's a lot of type-in traffic. They're coming in through the email newsletter. They're clicking on this stuff on a regular basis. And that's because, you know, we saw, I think it was like 60% return traffic, which uh, like a lot of people will sleep on return traffic. But when you're in B2B, if people aren't returning, you're never getting into the consideration set. 100%. Right? So we're I'm structuring the content and the program in a way that follows that structure mm -hmm. overall. And we're we're making it so one piece of content flows into another. Uh, and we might do that in longer arcs and we might do that in smaller arcs to make sure that we have, you know, we're giving it this huge base of knowledge. Again, I'll give you an example. So we'll go back to how to optimize a landing page, right? The first piece that we publish on that particular subject is the broad topic, right? It's everything that has to do with building a landing page. The next thing, we'll write an article specifically about hero images. And then we'll write an intro or an article specifically about hero copy, right? And we can go all the way down to the individual call to action and even micro copy underneath that and the role that it all plays in the buyer psychology. So by the time we're, you know, five, six, seven articles in, there is now a very complete knowledge base of how to build a perfect landing page and as we're going through it, we're also, you know, saying this is what you think, but this is what you actually need to know as we're going about this. And it's not all, you know, horseshoes and rainbows when it comes to things like A-B testing and all of this other stuff. And we know that because I've been taught, you know, I'm doing a regular talking to readers on a regular basis, might be doing regular case studies and sharing those insights with the team. And that's basically the structure of the program. Overall, it's based on the code to begin with, right? I'm finding authors who are willing to step up to that code because I have very high expectations of the people that I work with. And then we're creating this character arc or we're looking at character arcs, but we're also looking at the topics that people might want uh, to go after to then address their needs. And that drives people to want to come back. What, you said something there that I want to hit on and I don't want to gloss over, but on the return traffic side, especially in B2B, when we're selling these products that aren't cheap, there's many layers to it. 
there's many buying buyers seats at the table decision makers it's very complicated and complex it's not mm-hmm. just like add to cart and be done with it why don't you think in b2b we consider that re- return traffic or how many pieces we're getting in front of those people as like a or in the right type of pieces we're getting in front yeah. of those people in order to convert them there's like no there there might be but there's very, there's not enough conversations or content yeah. around that topic why is that I, I honestly, I, I've been asking this question for like the last 10 years or so, not when I first started, but definitely in the last 10 years or so, where, why do we value more traffic, more traffic, more traffic? And it's, it's because we want more traffic, right? That's ultimately it. And we want to cast as wide in that as possible. And that is necessary. It is absolutely necessary that we are driving more traffic. But if you're only seeing a commercial once, you know, mm-hmm. if if Michael Jordan's only selling you the Big Mac one time, right? Let me show how old I am. I'm right there with you, pal. Yeah. If if he's only if you've only got one commercial, right? You have to work extra hard. Like you're net. First of all, if you only have one commercial, no one's ever gonna actually see it. You have a very very small subset. And then furthermore, it's that repetition. And this is why I don't think new traffic is great or going after only new traffic is great. Reel me back in anytime, Brett, too, by the way. Keep going. No, keep going. Topic. Keep okay. going. So I, I don't understand. That's that's what I'll say is I don't understand because that means you have to cast as wide a net as possible, but it also means that you are uh, relying on people trying to hit all of these different key phrases if you're going after the SEO side specifically to keep coming back, right? And there is this mindset or this mentality that the wider net we cast, the more people we're going to see. And that's true to an extent. But we have to be thinking about those things that people also aren't searching for, right? A lot of decision makers aren't searching for a lot of the things that are going to get them to buy, right? So it needs to be balanced. As I as I look at a content program overall, I try to balance that out as to what's going to grab the attention, but also what's going to make your existing base of people happy and not hiding everything behind paywalls and or, or lead gates or anything like that. But yeah, why do we value that so much? I have no idea. Honestly, I, I think I, I would have to talk to more people as to why that's the case. Yeah. Because I, no, I just, I, I don't get it. I, I honestly don't get it. I'm glad I'm not alone in this. Um, yeah. And so one of the things when we spoke before you talked about, we were talking about premise and uh, mm-hmm. I, I highlighted a quote and maybe this goes along with this or maybe I'll set it up like this, but sure. you said something to the effect of 80% of the way there, you're 80% of the way there with a good premise. And I think, you know, identifying a, the right premise or a good premise is often overlooked. And I maybe like yeah. thinking about it in the context of like quality versus quantity, if you got a good premise and you're attacking your content with that premise through all the different channels and all the different ways, like that premise might not be for everybody, but if it's for, if, if you nail it and the right people come in, the traffic might be lower, but the quality might increase yeah. which might lead to better conversion, waste salespeople's, less of salespeople's time, more custom, more quality customers, less churn all the way. So that's how like I think about it, but I'd love to hear from from you just on like the premise, how you think about it, 
obviously you started with uh, talking about Toy Story. So I know you got a yeah. thing or two to say here. Yeah. So uh, the entire content marketing philosophy that I have revolves around three different axioms. And the first one is a good premise will get you 80% of the way there. The second one is uh, content is a form of social currency. And the third one is decisions are made in Slack. And the good premise in particular is an evolution of or a byproduct of or the end result of all of this research, identifying what the reader wants, what the reader needs, and then trying to give the reader something to wrap their heads around, right? To like help people understand that this is what we're about. Now, a lot of people will say, okay, this is the value proposition. And potentially that's true, but but it's a little bit more than that in my mind, right? I'll I'll get outside of B2B for a second here. And I've got some of my, my old presentations open here. So it gives you an idea of where I'm coming from, right? If we look outside of B2B, I think we're right around the same age. So you'll you'll get this. The good premise will help you latch on to this and communicate what it is overall. So tell me if you know the show that I'm gonna that that I'm gonna read you the premise of. Okay. So this is the true story of seven strangers picked to live in a house, work together, have their lives taped to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. So I just want to go to YouTube and watch some puck because you're talking about the real world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the peanut butter, right? This is something, this is something where we can understand exactly what this is. And we're we're trying to own a portion of somebody's brain. Right. We want to plant our flag in some part of their brain and associate that, you know, we want them. Shopify did a great job of this with, you know, Shopify, plant the flag, e-commerce. Right. And I have to believe that part of our premise on our blog, the like the part, the role that I played in that was what happens when e-commerce gets out of the way hmm. or well, not when e-commerce gets out of the way. What happens when technology gets out of the way? What are you capable of doing? Right. This is not something that you have to communicate to your customers, but it is something that you definitely have to have internally to guide the macro level of your content program, mm. right? Is it always tying back to the premise? And then on a micro level, on your topic planning section, right? When you're when you're going to do that, we're looking at the through line of each piece, right? So go back to landing page optimization. Is the premise of this piece really to teach landing page optimization or is the premise of this piece, and I'm just making this stuff up on the spot now, is the premise of this piece that landing page optimization is great, but there's a lot more to it than you might believe, right? There's a lot more happening behind the scenes. Going back to the character's wants and the character's needs, there's also this concept of uh, when it comes to their wants specifically, what is the lie that they believe about the world? Hmm. Because that's the thing that needs to be proven wrong to them to help them understand and fully actualize their need, right? So if we're looking at the premise, part of that premise to me is asking that question and then helping to guide them along the rest of that path. So by the time they get to the ending, right? And I could talk all day about endings. I'm actually writing a series about this in my newsletter. They have uh, gotten either what they want or what they need, or only one of those two things, either what they want and not what they need or what they need, but not what they want, or they get nothing because 
that's actually satisfying. That's what gives us this sense of closure and finality on whatever topic it is that we're talking about. And quite honestly, if you're giving people what they need, but not what they want, they're going to come back for the next one and the next one and the next one. This is how movies work. And this is how sequels work, right? You you have some level of closure at the end or it's left open-ended, right? Watch any Netflix mm. show at the end of every Netflix episode. They're trying to get you to watch the next one, right? And that's what we're looking at is did this deliver on the premise? And if it did deliver on the premise of the episode, cool. We've got a satisfying arc that we've completed usually after the first three episodes. And if it didn't deliver on the premise, well, now you're having to tune into the next thing because there's more to be seen. Does that make sense? It does. And I okay. want you, you mentioned this in your setup and I want you to dive in deeper to this. You mentioned content is a form of social currency. Yep. What do you mean by that? So we share content online the same way that, and this is just my view on this, but the way that we cut our hair, the way that we, you know, what we wear for clothing, the music that we're willing to share with other people, the movies that we're willing to share with other people, these things are all, they speak to us, right? They are specific to us, hopefully. And when we share these things, it's a communication of our tastes, right? And we are all selfish creatures, plain and simple. And if we're looking at content as a form of social currency, I'm going to share something very different from my with my boss than I might with a colleague. And the impression that I want that person to have of me is based on a lot of like, one, my own character and our personal interactions, but two, the stuff that I'm sharing with them. Am I well-read? Am I well-educated? Is my sense of humor something that aligns with what's going on with them. And as creators, a lot of us aren't thinking about what our content says about, we're thinking about what our content says about us. We're not thinking about what our content says about our reader when they have a downstream share with that other person. Are we making them look however it is that we want to look? Now, I guarantee you, I know this is the case with everybody who listens to this, we all have our guilty pleasures. We're not going to share the comedian that makes us laugh that we also feel a little bit guilty about that it makes us laugh, right? We're not going to share that kind of bad taste movie that like, that's for us. That's for when nobody's around. We don't want people to know about that, mm. but there are things that we are sharing with people and whether it's, you know, in B2B and with our bosses and with our teams or with our friends, there are things that we're going to share that give us some credibility. We want that street cred with folks. And a lot of brands are built around this, right? Apple is built around this. That, let's just go with the most basic example. They're built around this idea that if you have an iPod, if you have a MacBook, if you do any of these things, then you are part of the cool crowd, right? So we have to think about, you know, again, from the macro level, what is somebody sharing any of our stuff saying to the people that they're sharing it with about them but then also what are those things that it's yeah what are, what are the things it's going to say about them but also are we something that they are excited to share is it going to make them look good right i'm going to dig into that just a little bit more if that's okay yeah let's yeah let's hear it okay cool so there's this advice out there right everybody has the the advice of you're talking to one reader 
right? You have one person in mind and you want to create for this one person. I don't believe in that necessarily, right? Sure, you might have this one-on-one relationship. Like right now, you have a huge listener base, but right now you and I are talking to each other and we've got one person on the line, right? We're only in one person's ears. But that person also has a supporting cast of characters in their life. Every protagonist has a supporting cast of characters and every supporting cast of character, if we look at Robert McKee, the author of story talks about this really well. Every supporting character adds some level of dimension to the protagonist. So Walter Wright is a great example of this. We know that Walter is uh, a bit of a, an egotistical person because of what Gus Fring brings out of him. But we also know that he's a caring father because of what his son brings out of him and parts of his relationship with Jesse. We also know, right, we know all of these things because of what these other characters bring out of them. Now, when we're thinking about our reader, we have to also think about their relationships around them. So if we're creating content, not for one person, but for two people, right? I'll say I'm creating a piece of content that speaks to a marketer cool. But if I'm creating a piece of content that is for a marketer and a salesperson, right? Now I'm creating this little bit of a gap inside where I can be the middle of that conversation and I can create a conversation by, between these two folks. Whether they share my stuff with each other or not is irrelevant. Because what I end up knowing is that with my one reader, now they're developing other relationships with folks. So marketing and analytics, Right. I might put another piece together where I'm trying to start a conversation between these two groups. If we're putting ourselves in the middle of a conversation and we're being shared around multiple Slack channels and you're asking the question, what Slack channel are they going to share this in? Then we put ourselves in the middle of that discussion. And if we're doing that enough times, when the consideration part comes up, if we're if we've got the person returning to us on a regular basis, that consideration, it's going to become a lot easier to say, like, we're part of that conversation already. So how are we not in that consideration set when they're evaluating different products? That makes sense? Totally. And you mentioned the Slack component, and maybe that's like where we take it home. I think one of your your other beliefs is that decisions are made in Slack. Now, I think one of the problems we have as marketers is that we get into this like, I like to call it attribution intoxication where we're just (laughs) so obsessed and we get drunk over dashboards and where things go. And the fact of the matter is the game that's being played right now, like we don't have control over most of it. And our content is being shared in DMS and slacks. It's this whole dark social component. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, and I know that's part of your, you know, belief system with content, like how, how should we as marketers be thinking about that? So see how I weave it all together, by the way, there's like, I try to have this narrative arc on all of it. That's intentional, man. No, the idea is that decisions are made in channels that you can't measure, period. And the whole idea of sales, there's research behind this where it says, you know, most people when they fill out their fill out your lead form, they've already made like 85 or 90% of their decision. I don't remember the exact statistics, but you already have a pretty good idea of what you're going to do. And we get intoxicated by this idea of measurements and dashboards and whatnot. And I think I have to, I, 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 I hate to say this, but a lot of companies aren't trusting their hires 
in mm. some ways where it's like, hey, you hired me because I'm a good writer, right? Or you hired me for for this content development skill that I have. You have to, and, and I hate to say this, but part of that is like, you got to trust me, bro, right? Nobody likes to hear that, but but you have to hire people and it comes, it goes all the way out to the hiring thing. You have to hire people that you know how to create stuff, can create stuff that resonates, right? Like this stuff has to resonate with you. And if it does, then you have to trust that it's going to do stuff that makes that, that, that does, that moves the needle forward. Right. So it goes back to more metrics, like metrics I care about that nobody else does. Right. Direct traffic is fantastic. I love direct traffic and I love direct traffic because that means like, if you think about what that actually means now, granted, I'm, I'm saying this with the also like caveat that people are doing attribution wherever they can, right? You attribute your social media. We don't, but you attribute your social links. You, you know, you do all of the things you're supposed to do. Type in traffic or like direct traffic is people typing in your stuff. They're actively seeking out you. And that's part of the whole trust me, bro conversation. If you have really good top of funnel stuff where you're attracting people over social and you're attracting people through search and all the different things that we, you know, we put all of our stock into, then they're going to type in afterwards. And that's a really great downstream metric because now you don't have to do all that extra work, right? So, so these decisions are being made in channels that we can't measure. And I think that's a good thing. Because how many times, and I, I could say this to any marketer who does, you know, demand capture or demand gen or any salesperson, how many times do you have somebody coming into your, your pipeline where you're like, I have no idea how this person got here. Mm. Chances are likely they read a bunch of your stuff, said, yeah, uh, this, this rings true for me. It's fulfilling my wants and my needs. And you guys get it. Plain and simple. So I get this and I'm a believer of this. I'm curious, you mentioned direct traffic, but maybe yeah. we talk specifically to the content marketer who's out there right now listening to this, who is, who is they, they have conviction that they're creating on needs and wants. They, yeah. they, they believe that the, what they're putting out there is the right thing. We know it takes time and they're trying to figure out what are what are the signals and the things that I can communicate back to upper management to sure. let them know that it is not in our best interest to get off this track that I'm working on right now. And if we stay consistent with this track based on these signals, the pipeline is going to be full. The right type of uh, brands are going to come into place. Like what might be some of those signals that that content marketer can use back to management? Yeah. So I'm not actually the best person to communicate this. I have to, I, I, I will, I will, I've had this conversation. I was also part of a layoff, right? And layoffs, <laughs> layoffs, when you're, when you're, when you're a line item, it means that you weren't actually like communicating these things properly. Sure. So I do this much better on my own and with my client work. <laughs> I'll say that. Right. But it's the whole idea of like, okay, did people comment on this thing on social media mm. or on the, I don't think we do comments anymore on blog posts, but nobody has those open anymore. But are people commenting on this? Are they remarking on it? Is it getting shared, right? If we're looking at these things and these things specifically, we can assume, and it is a bunch of trust me, bro type situations, but for every comment you get 20 other people said, yeah, yeah, I get it. They just didn't want to comment doesn't mean they didn't mm. it didn't hit them right so 
And there is research to back that up, right? So now that I'm older and wiser and have been running my own company for a few years now, there is that research to back that up. And you have to create that supporting argument that says, just because we're not hearing from them, just because we can't measure it, doesn't mean it's not hitting. And here are the reasons why that's the case. And this is from a macro level. Bosses, executives, management, they love the supporting research, right? So if you're kind of in this position where you're finding yourself saying, I know, I know, I have this gut feeling, right? Then you have to support that, but you have to support it with that external research. But then there's this other part where you just go like, hey, did you read my stuff? Mm. Like, have you actually paid attention to the work that I'm doing? Or are we just looking at it from that measurement perspective? Because look, like, no, I'm putting, I'm, I'm a lot more defensive about this. And again, I'm not the best person to communicate this, but read it. Just read it. Tell me how you feel about it. Like, take yourself out of the position you're in right now. Think about the conversations you've had with the 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 customers that we've had right and if you haven't had conversations with the customers then maybe that's something that needs to change too but like does this ring true to you like like we all kind of forget and and you know we talk about b2b we talk about b2c we all forget when we're in our roles that we're also c's i'm i'm a c to a bunch of different people and I'm a C to a bunch of different people for a bunch of different reasons. And some of those reasons are they had really good stuff that just that rang true for me. I don't even know how I got there. Right. How are they going to know how I got there? If I don't know how I got there, it just crossed my radar. And I said, yeah, damn, this is good. Mm. Right. Some of the stuff I comment on, some of the stuff I don't. But like you just have to look at that and go like, what is what evidence do we have? Then what's the supporting reasons that the market research says? And then like, what's your own intuition say about this? And are we seeing these these numbers that we can't measure, right? Or that we don't see like direct traffic? Is that doing what it's supposed to do, right? So there are like so many different things that we could look at to support that. I'm not the best at that. <laughs> like making that argument is not my strong suit, but that's what I do, right? It's it's a matter of going like, you hired me for a reason. Take a look at the work. Is the work, like, do you believe that this could actually do something? Now we have some other supporting evidence out there that, you know, validates at least part of what you're feeling about that. The goal of these conversations is to always make people on the other side think a little bit differently about a yeah. topic. And I know as a content person, I'm certainly thinking about content marketing and everything that's going on in my world a little bit differently. Tommy, this was awesome. Jam-packed. We, I think we, 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 we had this conversation inside the parameters of what we were going to, what we were setting out today. So that is good, but there's certainly, this is gonna be a listen back because there's a ton of nuggets you dropped that I'm gonna to have to write down. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate you letting me on. Really enjoyed that chat with Tommy. I love the conversation around decisions being made in Slack and how do we optimize for that. I think he's doing some really nice work around content marketing. Make sure you follow him, sign up for his newsletter, watch his show, all the things. 
that we love to do as marketers studying other marketers. You all have a very happy holiday. Enjoy your time with your family and your friends. We'll be back with more Modern Day Marketer in 2024.